You're listening to the Rapid Realization Podcast, where we discuss the mind, body, and everything on healing from within, for you to get inspired to finding your own inner wisdom, to be more self-actualized and become aware of your highest potential. And I'm your host, Dr. Anne-Marie Belkansky, a certified clinical hypnotherapist and mind coach at Rapid Realization, and I welcome you. So let's begin. Welcome to today's episode on the Rapid Realization Podcast. We're talking about the fight-or-flight response. And really, are you living in the fight-or-flight response? Some of you may have heard of this before, but I'm going to go into further details as to even what is the fight-or-flight response and how you may be living in it and not even realizing it because it's just simply your baseline. So let's talk about what fight-or-flight is. Really, fight-or-flight is stress. Uh, that's it. It's just stress. And most of us are living in stress constantly throughout our days. And the fight or flight response is an automatic physiological reaction to an event that is perceived as stressful or frightening. The perception of threat activates the sympathetic nervous system, and it triggers an acute stress response that prepares the body to fight or flee. So again, fight or flight. Um, These responses that come up are activating many parts of your body and really creating a lot of tension, inappropriate action, reaction, responses, anxiety. It is very much associated with a lot of conditions that we are all having in our common modern day medicine. When we're in the fight or flight response, we we have increased heart rate, basically putting more work and strain upon the heart. We have dilated blood vessels within our hands, our extremities, in order for us to be able to utilize our muscles. Hello, we, we want to run. <laughs> so it's, it's taking away the blood from our digestion. So the blood vessels going to our ju- digestive system will constrict. Our, the blood flow to our lungs is also increased, which will increase res- respiration rate so that we have available oxygen. Again, it's really just trying to get as much energy all around us, putting it into our bodies so that we can use. Another example of being in sympathetic nervous system is that the liver, which holds all of our sugars or glucose for storage, is basically released into the body. And it basically is telling our body to not absorb any sugars or or carbohydrates for example, into the liver to store like proper storage instead to use it into our body. So again, it's getting this flood of sugars in our body system when we're in sympathetic nervous system or sympathetic response. Again, this is all related to when we're stressed. The skin becomes pale or flushed due to the blood flow. And we have increased, like I said earlier, blood flow to the muscles. So it really takes away blood flow to maybe non-essential parts like cold sweats. And cold sweats is a really common um, occurrence of that fight or flight state because all of the, the blood flow to the skin is being directed to the muscles. Yet there's heat being produced there, but our hands, our skin feels cold. So those are cold sweats, actually. Lastly, our pupils will become dilated uh, to allow in more light um, in order to be able to scan our surroundings. So we become very hyper vigilant and upon our visual sight. Now, again, all of these are associated with the sympathetic nervous system. Now, what is the sympathetic nervous system? Again, it's the whole fight or flight nervous system. It's the same thing. And it is the thing that is very much responsible for stress. 
And most of us are constantly in this state of stress. And as I said earlier, it is basically a perceived, frightened, stressful event. But look, most of us, I would say, if you're listening to this podcast, then that means you're not living in the jungle. You are not at threat to be uh, mauled by a tiger or to be attacked by a bear. You're living in society. And where does stress come from for all of us? It usually comes from, you know, our environment. It comes from our job. It comes from our families. It comes from social situations. And Really, more than anything, it comes from our perception of all the things around us. So that means it comes primarily from our thoughts and what we're thinking about our situation and the things around us. If we're at work and we have a deadline, we become very stressed about that deadline. Why do we become stressed about that deadline? Because maybe we're fearful that we're going to lose our job or fearful that we're going to fail or not going to perform. And so we basically create stories in our mind that is basically putting ourselves in that constant fight or flight state because of our perceived threat all around us. And it is that thinking mind that creates that more than anything. It is the story that we are constantly telling ourselves that we are in danger. And I want to bring this topic up because it's one that I really always educate my clients upon in regards to helping them learn how to regulate. And one of those main things that I like to help them regulate is the breath. So breath is a spontaneous reaction that happens without any thoughts. We don't need our thoughts in order to breathe. However, breath is such a beautiful thing that we can consciously control. We can consciously force our breath or we can consciously just be aware of how we're breathing. Now, the thing about the sympathetic nervous system, there is a clear type of breath that occurs with it. It's usually a shallow breath, and it's in our chest. We're breathing very shallow. We're not taking deep breaths. We're usually taking fast breaths. So again, like I said earlier, it is that nervous system is directly stimulating our breath to increase. But the thing is, so is our thoughts. It can increase or decrease our breath. Now, of course, if we catch ourselves when, when we're breathing really fast or we're in the state of fight or flight or becoming simply aware of our thoughts and what we're telling ourselves, we can consciously start to pull ourselves down. How do we do that? Consciously breathe. Now, because this nervous system is all about heightening things, but there's also an opposite nervous system, which is called parasympathetic. This nervous system is called the rest and relaxation nervous system. And this nervous system is responsible for all the opposite reactions of the fight or flight. If it wasn't for this nervous system, we would not be able to use the bathroom. So parasympathetic or rest and relaxation nervous system is responsible for us to just simply let go, to relax, to digest our food. It changes the whole pathways of our blood flow to our digestive system so that we properly digest food. It is the nervous system that tells our body to store glucose or carbohydrates appropriately inside of our liver so that we have these more complex molecules so that we can be able to break down to simple sugars so that the body can use. So this is a very interesting fact that I just want to bring up very quickly here that if you noticed earlier how I talked about the sugars in the sympathetic or fight or flight system, basically that we have to use all our sugars, the body's saying, hey, we need to use this energy up. But if it's not really needing to use it, use it, it's just going to store it into fat. It's going to put it in the outside of your liver, as opposed to when you're in that parasympathetic arrest or relaxation, you're properly storing it in a proper means in your liver. 
And so people that can't seem to lose weight that are that are eating even little, this is the reason why <laughs> we're stress eating. And the, what's the issue is the stress. We need to de-stress, learn how to de-stress. Now, the parasympathetic nervous system is also very much connected to the breath. And the way that we start to balance these two parts in the nervous system is through the breath. If we understand the physiology that the exhale breath is actually responsible for the parasympathetic, when we take a nice deep inhale breath and then we slowly exhale, we're actually stimulating the parasympathetic nervous system. If we're taking really fast breaths, kind of like someone having a panic attack, like... And they're like really sped up. It is basically them stimulating the sympathetic nervous system. Now, we want to be able to balance the two. And that's why box breathing is an example. If you've heard of that type of breathing, which is very helpful in balancing the two nervous system. Now, what is box breathing? Box breathing is basically breathing like a box. So some people will do three seconds, four seconds. You know, the count is very variable. And it's basically drawing a box with your breath. So, for example, if you can imagine your mind's eye or just imagine right now that I'm breathing a box. So I'm first going to make a line at the top. And what am I going to do? I'm going to inhale. So inhale, one, two, three. Hold, one, two, three, going down. And then we're going to breathe out. One, two, three. And then we're going to hold again. Holding, one, two, three, going up now. And then breathing in again. One, two, three, going to the right. And then we're going down, holding. One, two, three. And then I'm going to the left now, drawing a line, going out, counting three, one, two, three. So that's box breathing. And what we're basically doing is making sure that our inhale breath and our outhale breath is balanced and that we're taking deep breaths and holding it and then exhaling it. So it's making sure that you have a nice, deep, good breath. That is one way of doing balancing these nervous systems. Another practice that I like to do is basically extending, doing a ratio count. I like to extend the exhale so that people are basically stimulating the parasympathetic more because most people are in that fight or flight nervous system, um, primarily fight or flight or stressed uh, responsive state. And I want them to relax, especially when they're working with me. So I really want to rev up that relaxation state. In order to do that, I have them take a nice deep breath in, but I don't really emphasize how long it takes to take the deep breath in. So they go in and then I have them exhale, but I tell them go really slowly. And when they do, they go out. And if you can tell, that was much longer. So basically what I'm doing is I'm doing a one to two ratio of breath. So this is another technique basically having them take an inhale at one ratio and an exhale doubling the ratio in time frame. So for example, if I was to have someone, if I notice that they're very quick at breathing and maybe they haven't practiced their breath, then I'll do two to four. So for example, breath in, one, two, and then breath out, one, two, three, four. So that's an example of a, of a one to two ratio. So this is a way of stimulating that parasympathetic, which is the exhaling breath. It's stimulating that nervous system within your body. 
And so, of course, if the person is a very good breather in that there or even their stature could determine how good their breath is or maybe if they swim or if they're used to holding their breath or whatever it may be. So if for those people, like for myself, I do practice breathing so I can hold my breath or pull in my breath a bit longer. So I will do like a four to eight count or an eight to 16 count, depending on how relaxed and down and also calm I am, of course. And I can extend that as I continue on with practicing it. So, for example... I'll do. Let's do four to eight. So one, two, three, four, and then out. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. And so that's an example of that type of breathing. There's a lot of other ways of breathing, and maybe you've practiced some. There's also called pranayama type of breath, where you're basically inhaling through the nose or one nostril. And there's a lot of different styles in regards to pranayama yoga style of breathing. And again, that breathing is too basically stimulating the nervous system because you're taking really good deep belly breaths. They want you to use your belly. They want you to go into your into your dantian, into your belly area because um, you're going to use the diaphragm. And when you're shifting the diaphragm, that means you're using your lungs fully. That's what the diaphragm is there for. It's in order for you to have really nice deep breaths so that when your lungs expand, it has all this space within your chest and your organs are being pushed down. And that's why the belly will go up because the diaphragm is pushing the organs, pushing it down, creating space as your belly gets bigger. And then the lungs are able to expand in the chest space with the diaphragm, which is this big muscle that is very much connected to a lot of different nerves as well. And so there's a lot of different techniques in breathing. And this is a style that I help people in order to regulate the parasympathetic and the sympathetic or the fight or flight nervous system to start to get them out of that because it becomes a habit where we're just in this fight or flight state and we don't even realize it. Some people don't even realize it. Maybe this conversation is the first time you realize it. Like, are you chest breathing? Are you tense? What do you feel in your body? What are the thoughts? Are you constantly scared? Are you constantly worried? Are you constantly looking around you? Are you hypervigilant? Are you scared of the worst thing that's going to happen? If So I'm going to say you probably learned from someone how to be in this fight or flight response because you're concerned of something bad happening. But the thing is, if we really look at what's going on around us, we can go down the worst case scenario and think about what is the worst thing that will happen. We could. And some people like to catastrophize the worst scenario. Like really, it's like it's like catastrophizing like everything that, oh my God, I left toast in my my toaster oven. The house is going to burn down. That is catastrophizing like that that the house is going to burn down because you left your your toast in the in the oven or in the in the toaster oven. But what's the likeliness of that that happening? Honestly, it's like 0.01%. You know, you have your toaster oven in, in, a, in a space and you do leave it. And even if you did leave it there for a long period of time, the worst thing that's going to happen is they're going to burn because all toasters actually have a little safeguard on it, right? <laughs> Unless you put it in your oven. However, the thing is, the likeliness of that happening is extremely unlikely. But we think about that worst case scenario. And then what happens? We get tense in our body. We're like, <gasps> 
and our our breath gets tense and everything gets tense. And we're basically putting ourselves in a fight or flight because we're showing our subconscious mind, which doesn't know the difference between real or fake, the worst case scenario. So now the body believes that the worst case is happening. And because the conscious mind is showing the body that worst case scenario, now it believes it needs to be on fight or flight mode in order to protect itself. It needs to be in survival now. And this scenario happens a lot. But the thing is, we're not. We really aren't. If we really look at our life around it, and it doesn't matter where you are right now, likely the worst case scenario will not happen. Because if you are alive, and if you are here, then that means that you you are going to be okay. The likeliness of the worst case scenario happening is not likely. And one example that I've given in the past is like, let's say theoretically, like, let's say that I, um, I'm working a corporate job, and I lose my job. And I am no longer making money, and I can't find a job. And, you know, I can't pay rent. And, you know, I'm thinking about the worst case scenario. Oh, my God, I'm going to be homeless. Oh, my God, I'm going to be in the streets. I'm not gonna have money, I'm gonna starve. And now I'm putting myself in that state as though I'm actually living that at that moment. And that puts me in this desperation and this fear, and it's health-wise, it's toxing to me. But if I really think about it, like, will I be homeless? Honestly, for me personally, I'm not going to be homeless. Like, worst case scenario, I have a support network. I do have friends. I have family. I have people that would not want to see me on the street. And at the worst, I will be able to couch surf. And and even if I can't couch surf, let's say theoretically, I really am a hermit. I have no friends. I have no family. I have nobody to reach out to. That's completely fine too. You know what? I will find my way on the streets and I will still be alive. And you know what? I know myself. I am very determined. And I always wonder this too with homeless people. Like I will, I will take a shower in a bathroom at a freaking restaurant if I need to. So worst case scenario is really I'm still alive. And I know it's not a, a, a not a scenario that would be pleasing, but the thing is, it helps me realize that in the end, I'm still alive. I'm still here, and it is a challenge that I would have to learn how to get myself out to, out of. And if I went through the whole experience of actually being homeless, and I came back up from being homeless and found a job and got back my life together, man, would I feel accomplished? No matter what it is, I would learn how to be able to survive. And learning how to survive while being calm, while just knowing that, hey, you know, I'm still here and looking at all the blessings that I do have, seeing the world in a more positive state is going to open you up to more opportunities. And I I know this is a challenge to even be, you know, some people may even want to go down the rabbit hole. Oh, yes, it would be the worst case scenario. But I'm going to say, well, are you being that catastrophic type of person where you're making things into that, which is then putting you in a state of fight or flight and extreme stress? What's the point? What's going to come of that? What What's going to happen after that then? Is, is you being in a constant stress state or fight or flight state actually helping the situation? We're not able to think much clearly when we're in that state, but when we're calm, relaxed, and clear, then we're able to make appropriate decisions and then make the best decisions for us so that we no longer have to live like that. That's what I would say. So the breathing awareness of what we're doing, if I could hand anything to anyone, it would be awareness. And it's not easy to be aware. But if you can be aware, if you're not aware, 
learn how to be aware. (laughs) And the first part of that would be just sitting with yourself and starting to analyze, to evaluate, to look at, to be aware that you even have these thoughts that are maybe taking you on these thought patterns that are creating this discomfort in your body. Start to notice that your body even has feelings and sensations, that we all have feelings and sensations. And what is your baseline? Where are you at? If you were to look at yourself right now and ask, how do you feel? What would be your response? Most people's reaction would be like, I'm good. But no, I want you to really look in. How do you know you feel like that? How do you know you feel good? How do you know you feel anxious? How do you know you feel happy? And begin to gain awareness of your body. Begin to gain awareness of your thoughts. Begin to be aware of the patterns around you and within you that is creating the life that you're living. Because there are patterns that you have full control in changing. And starting to have awareness of those patterns is what is going to help you change. Because you can't change what you're not aware of. And so the first part of healing is that awareness, awareness that we are in a fight or flight, awareness of our breath and how beautiful it really is for us to utilize, awareness of how you could sit in silence and learn your thoughts and start to practice meditating so you can make them quiet. These are all practices that you can choose to either engage in or just ignore and continue the life that you're living. And I'm going to ask you then, would that be the life you want to live? If you could imagine everything that's going on and you continue to do exactly what you're doing right now for the next year or two or three, imagine this life right now in five years. Could you say this is the life you want to live? And if the answer is yes, then man, congrats. And that's amazing. But if there's any no at all in there, choose to change it and find what it is you need to do in order to change it so that you can live your best life, because nobody else can create the life that you want besides you. And you're the only one that knows what's going on in your mind, what's going on in your heart, what's going on in your body. And first, you have to listen. You have to be aware. I Anybody that comes to see me, it's not me giving the answers. It's you. I'm just listening more. I'm just more attuned and I'm helping to ask questions that maybe nobody has ever asked you. And so I'm challenging you to finally look within. And so whenever I ask questions to my clients, they're kind of like really confused at first Because nobody's ever really asked these types of questions like, oh, I never thought of it. And for the first time, they're actually asking, how do I really feel and how do I know? What does that feel like? Wow, what am I what am I saying to myself and why am I saying these things? Man, this voice is really intrusive. (laughs) I didn't realize how loud it really was until you sit in silence and you notice it. So I would encourage you to start to take those steps. And I'll take those steps with you anytime you want. So please feel free to reach out to me. I have plenty of meditations out there for you to start to learn. You can join me on Insight Timer where I do live talks as well as have meditations on there. So many wonderful teachers. I am a huge, huge advocate for meditation because it's one of the one things that really will help you learn who you are to meditate or to do self-hypnosis. That's why I love hypnosis, because all hypnosis really is self-hypnosis. I'm just guiding you like someone would guide someone meditating. And so feel free to check those out. I'm going to put that link below. Um, I'm on there every Friday. I talk about stuff from this podcast on there on Insight Timer. So if you want to feel free and talk about this episode as well, then you can feel free to join me next Friday because I'll be on there talking about this. Not this Friday, next Friday. (laughs) So this is released on Mondays and um 
the episode we have for this Friday is going to be about the last episode I had last week. So every week I'm on um, Insight Timer, but I give you an extra about two weeks almost in order to catch up so that any questions you may have, even about this episode, feel free to join me there so we can talk. Look forward to connecting as well as on my socials. And I hope today's episode really helped you give some insight in regards to the fight or flight, regards to your breath, regards to awareness, and um, regards to your journey. And I really do wish you all the best. And I thank you for allowing me to help and serve you through this podcast and other platforms. Thanks so much, everyone, and have a wonderful day. Thanks for listening, and I hope you gain some newfound insights or realizations. If you would like future alerts on new episodes, be sure to hit the subscribe. You can also join me, your host, on Instagram to continue this conversation, ask questions, or just to give us feedback because we love hearing from you, the listener. Just search in the handle Ann Balkansky, or you can check below in the show notes all of our social media links as well as how else you can get connected. Until next time, have a great one.